From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Welcome back to The Dairy Show, everyone. I'm your host, Katie Schmidt. And this week, as we move the podcast into 2023, we are joined by Jake Smoker of Wanata, I hope I got this right, Indiana. He's giving me a thumbs up, so we'll take that as the win. Welcome to the podcast, Jake. Thanks for having me, Katie. We met each other, what, about a month ago at a conference in Wisconsin, and we got talking about farming stuff, naturally. Seemed that you were going to be the perfect guest to bring on to actually talk about beef on dairy cross calves and what that looks like and what it means. So that's what we're going to talk about. But first, we're going to cover a little bit about you. Can you share some information, your background, connection to agriculture for listeners? So I am fifth generation on the farm that we're at currently in uh, in Wanata, Indiana, which is about 20 miles off the southern tip of Lake Michigan. Um, we're about an hour outside of Chicago, about two hours north of Indianapolis. So we, we're kind of surrounded by urban. We have been feeding cattle in, in this area since 1944 uh, in some capacity or another. We currently, uh, re- you know, we're currently licensed to have about 2,000 head on feed. It's all bedding pack, monoslopes. It's on concrete as opposed to maybe a western yard that's more open, open uh, space. My background is I grew up on the farm showing cattle. Uh, we started uh, raising, we, we were native. Uh, we had fed native cattle for the longest time. And in about 1995, we had started to switch the yard over to uh, full dairy influence cattle. Uh, a lot of Holsteins coming through, some Jersey, some Galvian, or uh, some of those kind of breeds, but Holstein was the predominant one. Along with the late 90s, we saw an influx of the larger dairies coming into the area as well. And so that influenced a lot of our uh, buying habits for cattle coming into the feed yard. We've seen then this transition come over time. I went to school for economics down at Purdue University, spent some time working downtown in Chicago. Uh, I had to get away from the farm for a little bit, but there was, you can you can never get away for too long. So uh, about 10 years ago, there's an opportunity to come back to the feed yard. My wife, Jill, and I uh, have two kids, uh, Catherine, who's six, and Elijah, who's two. They will be the sixth generation coming back if they if they come back to the farm. So that's kind of a little bit about me and about my background. Um, excited to talk. Quick question. You mentioned native breeds. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so what we were doing before that was pulling cattle from out west. A lot of Angus, a lot of Hereford. We were a big Angus and Hereford yard for the longest time. It actually worked out because my great-grandfather and my grandfather were feeding cattle together. It was before the days of plastic ear tags and everything, so it was an easy way for them to tell whose cattle were whose in the feed yard. So we had started off feeding those and pulling from out west, Colorado, Montana, you know, th- those kind of areas. As the economics changed and as, as times changed, it made more sense for us to start feeding Holstein steers, Holstein bull calves, things like that, um, Holstein heifers, as times have changed and now on to the beef on dairy crosses. Okay, so how have all of these, I guess, how, how is it different feeding each of these different types of animals? So going from your native breeds to your full dairy, predominantly Holstein, and then into these like cross calves now. 
Yeah. So there's, uh, I mean, you got to think about what the, what the breedings are intended for, you know, a, a native animal is intended for meat production, you know, that that's what they're intended for. So they're bred to do that. They're bred to convert feed very efficiently. The frame sizes are a lot smaller. Uh, you know, the carcass weights are lower as well. You know, their focus in the breeding is on marbling, is on ribeye size, is, is those kind of things. Switching over then to a dairy, a dairy steer, just like a dairy cow, they're bred to, you know, the breeding is for the cow side. It's for milk production. The Holstein bull calf was always a byproduct of the dairy industry. So that breeding influence kept, you know, came through. So you see the uh, lower feed, you know, conversions, you're seeing those uh, more manure production, you're seeing larger frame sizes, larger carcass sizes, it, you can still get a very good carcass animal out of a dairy steer or a dairy heifer. It changes though your your strategies on feeding, it's uh, your mega cows are very different uh, in a feeding style when you're facing a dairy steer versus a, a native steer. Um, your implant strategies are completely different. Your vaccination vaccination protocols are different as well uh, because you're changing where that calf is getting sourced from. Um, so there's a lot of different things. These beef on dairy crosses, now that we've been feeding for about five or six years, we started to see them about six years ago coming in. The breeding was all over the place. Um, you can see the refinement starting, but that has changed then our calculus as well. You're seeing better feed efficiencies coming in. You're seeing a lower manure production on the animal as well. The carcasses are all over the board right now, though. You can see that wildly coming through. Uh, you can have very good animals that kill as a select, which for whatever reason, they shouldn't be doing that. You know, you could get loads of Holsteins killing at 90% primer choice. Now we're starting to see things changing. Um, and, and it's reflective of the breeding, but we're in kind of the Wild West right now as the industry is uh, is talking about it. You know, and this is all pretty brand new. You had had uh, Kevin Zimba on a few episodes back, and uh, he had kind of talked about the same thing the last three years. It's kind of, we're trying to figure this out of where are we going with this and what, what do we need to be seeing? Um, and I'm glad to talk about this on the other side of it. It's fun to, to get a beef producer or a, a calf growers perspective on this because it's I think it's different than the genetic side of it but I can only imagine that as like an industry you're more productive if you can have a more unified animal at the end of its life so how do we get there it goes back to the the breeding at the end of the day it goes back to the breeding I, I like what the dairy industry is doing where you're taking the top third of that herd and you're you're breeding it to that prime you know those prime genetics for milk production and then you're taking that lower third of the herd and breeding it to something that's going to raise the income for the the dairy operation the fine tuning then is becoming where can we find the right mix of genetics going into the cow to get the right animal coming out we're seeing it then coming through uh, all the way to finish, the packers know, and the packers have caught on, you know, it used to be when black animals were coming out, black Holsteins were coming out, they were going to the packers and the packers were going, well, these are, these are Angus animals and they were killing CAB. They're not anymore. The packers know that these are Holstein influenced animals coming through and they are grading them as a Holstein. So the premium that you're paying at the front is not always reflected at the other side of it because the packer knows they know what these animals are and they know, you know, if you're a dairy listening to this, they know your animal because they know where we're getting the animals from 
and they know they ask us if they're buying a load out of our feed yard where did this come from because they know certain dairies are going to kill better and other dairies aren't going to kill as well because they know that that breeding's there you know whether whether you like to know it or not the, the packers know who you are or at least they know the region where we're pulling animals from so that then influences what we're getting paid on our end so that influences then what we can pay for a bull calf or a heifer calf coming off the dairy sure so what is the packer looking for how are they pricing that or grading that sure so uh any of the contracts that we've done typically revolve around grade and yield uh we have certain parameters that every load going to a packer has to hit you know these are all high high corn high uh high energy diets that we're required to feed you know these aren't grass-fed or anything like that these animals then when they go to the packer that load has to kill out at least 70 percent primer choice we get docked pretty heavily if uh, that load does not meet that parameter. Then it becomes carcass size and carcass weight. We have to hit at least a minimum of 700 pounds of a hot carcass weight, but we can't go over a maximum of 1,000 pounds of hot carcass weight. So we have a 300-pound window that we're looking at. And if you think uh, these cross beef on dairy crosses are going to be around 60.5% to 61% uh, of a yield. So we're trying to hit that window as well. Some of these genetics that we're seeing coming through then are, like I said earlier about the selects, uh, we're getting a lot more selects coming through. It's days on feed is what it's coming down to is there. These animals, though, are still showing that influence of the Holstein in them where they're growing larger. The frame sizes are larger. So it's taking a lot longer to get to that finished weight in order to get to that higher yield grade, higher quality grade. But when you start to get more days on feed, a larger framed animal, you start to push that thousand pound hot carcass weight. And then once we cross over into a thousand and one pound, well, it just became detrimental to the feeder to, to cross over that. So we're balancing that as well. Of how, are we going to take the whack on the select side? Or are we going to take the whack on the heavy carcass? Refining the breeding and refining this down to where you can get an animal that is a 900 pound hot carcass weight and throwing consistent choices. I don't even need a, a consistent prime, but a consistent choice, a consistent high choice animal, that that's the sweet spot. And if we can if and we've seen this with some dairies that we're working with, where if you get the right breeding into the cow, uh, we we can really see some good good results coming out uh, on that side of things. So you mentioned working with dairy is to make those right calves. What does that relationship look like or how have you like grown that relationship? We're fortunate in our area that there's a, a few rather large dairies in our, in our area. Uh, Indiana has been very conducive to working with dairies. So because of that, we, we've been able to develop uh, relationships with certain dairies in the area. Uh, some of that's been cultivated through Farm Bureau and, and those kind of things that it's allowed us to make those connections within a dairy. Sometimes it can be very hard to make an inroads to a dairy to show up on their door and say, hey, I'd like to talk about breeding. You know, they've, they've got everybody else banging on their door as well. And we're the weirdos coming in on the other side saying we want the byproduct that's coming out of your cows, but we'd like to tell you how to do it. And that may not be always a kosher thing to do. So it's taken time to cultivate those relationships and we're still continuing to always cultivate those relationships uh, across different parts of Indiana, across Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, down into Kentucky. Uh, it, it's it's fun to go across and see the different ways that the breeding is done, the way different 
ways that the herds are made up. And you can see the producers that take uh, a lot of time and effort and really have their cows dialed in on the genetic side. It, it reflects then on the other side when it's coming for a beef animal. Uh, you can really see it. You know, somebody that's maybe a little bit loose with the genetics and the way that they're the way that they're approaching it. We can tell it from a feed yard standpoint. And I, I don't even have to set foot onto that dairy. I can see from the ear tags coming in and I know if that ear tag shows up because it's from that dairy, I know I'm going to have a problem or I know I'm not going to have a problem because that that operator has got it going on. So why do you continue to work with those dairies then that are giving you those, we'll call them wild card cows <laughs> or wild card calves? Uh, we're a margin business at the end of the day. I can take animals and turn them around, but it takes a lot of stress, a lot of time, a lot of betting a lot of heartache to get those animals right so if the margin is correct and uh and my wife is feeling like she wants to help out and uh <laughs> and and not be mad at me when it's christmas eve and we're we're doctoring a half a pen of uh, of animals because we knew they were high risk coming in you know th those are the kind of sacrifices sometimes you got to make we're in a weird time in the cattle industry right now as it is we've seen the native cow herd get just wiped out, the drought out west, high corn prices, and, and a overall mentality of the cow-calf producer out west has just changed. You know, it used to be somebody would want to run 200 mama cows out west. Now it's, it's not something that people are gravitating to. You know, people don't want to ride the range when it's negative 40 degrees uh, wind chills out. You know, it's, it's not something that's appealing to this generation. So that's where I really think the dairy industry has got a, a strong foot going forward. As we see the native cow herd continue to decline, we're maybe coming into some leveling off and maybe some growth coming into 24, but that, that remains to be seen. This cattle cycle is about a seven-year cycle on the beef side. Um, so we've seen contraction, we've seen growth, but overall we're seeing that kind of trying to find its new level. We've seen prices raise because of that, and that has pushed calf prices up across the entire board, whether it be a native animal or a Holstein uh, heifer or bull calf coming through. We, we've seen that kind of level rise because inputs have risen as well. Uh, fat cattle price has risen as well. My concern is, is when the flock of black swans shows up again, like they did in 2016, like they did in 2020, when those kind of events happen uh, and we go from you know, the $1.50 a pound selling weight that we're at right now back down to an 88 cent selling weight like we were in 2020, what happens when you have a, an elevated calf cost? And it takes about, you know, in our feed yard, it takes around 330 days to turn that four, four weight calf around to a marketable animal. So we're, we're always balancing that as well, trying to look about a year out what's coming. How does the dairy industry and the beef industry then work together or alongside each other versus like fighting each other for, I mean, essentially a market share, right? Like at the end of the day, we're both creating a beef product too. So how does, how do we manage that? So in 4-H, we were the weird ones showing dairy uh, steers. Uh, the beef cattle barn didn't know what to do with us. They didn't really like us. Uh, the dairy barn didn't know what to do with us because we didn't walk backwards when we showed. So we, we, were, we were all over the board never knowing like what to do. But it taught me a lot of the beef industry needs the dairy 
it needs dairy steers. It needs dairy heifers that are, you know, getting cold and killed. The, the Packers need them, whether they want to admit it or not, they need them as well. You know, there, there's too much beef getting consumed for the size of cow herd that we've got from a native standpoint. You know, the, we, we need to all work together and play nice in the sandbox. And, and I know it can be hard. Cattlemen are probably the most uh, fiercely loyal uh, and fiercely independent people on this, this uh, earth. And I've known a lot of dairymen, too, that are probably the same way. Uh, so if we can work together, if, if we can have an animal that is crossed correctly with, with the right the right genetics when you're talking carcass weight or marbling or yield grade or even shear force or ribeye area, you know, th- those kind of uh, EPDs are so critical to us. But I know, and I know it's not critical to a dairy operation, but if we can start to work together on those ends and then work on the cattle, the uh, calf health side of things when they leave the dairy and come to us, if we can dial those in, we- we've got a great partnership. And it's something that the beef industry should be embracing. It's not something that we should be shying away from, because as the native cow herd continues to decline, there needs to be a place for this, you know, for these, uh, whether it's Angus or whatever, you know, genetics, there needs to be a place for it to go. If that's going into cows, that's a great thing, you know, whether it be a Holstein cow or whether it be an Angus cow. We can go round and round all day of whether or not, you know, the direction of it. But if we can all work together, we can all make money. You know, and that's the at the end of the day, if we can all make money and walk away as friends, that's the that's the whole goal of every business deal that I ever do. Every interaction that I ever want to have is if we can all work together and at the end of the day, we all profit, we're we're doing good, you know, because if if I lose a dairy because I'm, you know, whatever, trying to cut them on price or things like that and they go somewhere else or they go out of business for whatever reason, you know, maybe it wasn't based on solely on me, but I've lost a partner at that point. You know, if they're doing what I want them to do, I need to reward them and pay them accordingly. Uh, and, and it goes the other way too. I can't pay $300 for a, uh, a beef on dairy cross that the health is horrible on that. The Angus w- really was a bad straw going in. You know, the genetics weren't right that animal isn't worth it to me on the other side of it. So if we can all work together, we all, we all, you know, prosper. In your ideal world, Jake, what does a calf that shows up at the farm look like or what kind of care has it gotten up until it gets there? It's an excellent question. And uh, if your listeners want to go back a few episodes to when Andy Bechtel was talking about colostrum, uh, we'll be here when you get back. We won't get too far ahead. Because he is, he was spot on in that episode. I think it was about a year ago that you had him on, talking about colostrum, and that's that was the fight that we always saw with with Holstein calves. There's some hybrid vigor when you get a beef on Dairy Cross, so we're maybe seeing it a little bit less. But uh, if that animal has got colostrum straight away, you know, and I know the heifer calves take take priority, they always do. But if that bull calf can get get colostrum in them, if the navel can get dipped. That sets them up for for success for us. You know, th- there's a whole bunch of other things then along the way that have to happen correct. You know, the diet has to be correct when they when they leave the dairy. If it's only for a few days that they're there, or if they're there till they're 400 pounds, if the diet's not correct, if they're not, if that rumen is not developed, and and we know about rumen development and how important that is in a cow, it's the same thing on the, the other side of it when it when it comes for a beef animal when they're coming onto a high energy. Uh, silage diet, 
you know, if that rumen's not developed, we, we struggle on that side of it. The other thing then is vaccine protocols. I don't care what you're doing. Just be truthful and honest and transparent with me when they show up. There's a lot of cases where animals are, are maybe getting a vaccine that they shouldn't be getting, or they're getting a vaccine that's it's not uh, handled correctly. Uh, I've been to too many calf ranches where the bottle has been mixed. It's a modified live that's sitting on the dash of a truck in the hot sun, and it's not been mixed correctly. And it's you know, ask them how long that's been sitting there, and they say, well, a day or two. You know, it's that's junk. You know, if we can if we can get that all cleaned up and and have a vaccine protocol that is is correct for the animal. And it doesn't matter. Each herd has their own challenges. We've got our own challenges in the feed yard. Those kind of things set you up for success down the line. If I can have an, a, a semi load of four weights, four and a half, five weights, whatever, coming into the yard, and I know on day one that rumen is developed and they are ready to hit the ground running, and I'm not going to have 50% pulls, I'm not going to have 75% pulls, If I don't have to go through and do a mass metaphylaxis where I'm shooting every one of them with some sort of antibiotic coming in. I, I hate doing that. We've seen what happened with Roundup in the 90s, you know, and I, I fear for... You know, if we're if this is the go to of doing a mass treat straight away, uh, what are we setting ourselves up for as an industry? You know, we, we can avoid a lot of that headache and a lot of that hassle and a lot of that expense uh, by setting them up for success when they come in. Now, when they get here and we're post, you know, we've posted some coming in. We, we had a, a streak there for a while where we were having liver abscesses like crazy. And you start to come in and find out, well, the protocols were wrong when they were set up. They weren't set up for success. You know, the colostrum was huge. And so you start to see livers that are, you know, 30 pounds on a four-weight animal coming in. You know, their lungs are shot, things like that, where there's no matter what you can do, that animal, it's it's too far gone. But they've, they've been on life support coming to you. Uh, so if you can avoid those kind of things, if you can avoid those kind of pitfalls coming in, that animal is worth quite a bit more to me. Uh, if I can put them into the pen and and send them on their way for the next 330 days. So those, those are the kind of things that I, I would love to see. Transparency, top down, bottom up, and, and the correct genetics going in. Th that would be the ideal situation. Now, it's not going to happen. We've got ways that we can go around it and we can, we can deal with it. You know, each load that comes into the feed yard is a new challenge. Even established dairies, established protocols still have holes in them. As soon as you, and I've done this to myself before, I say to my dad, you know, hey, we got this figured out. We've got it dialed in. And then next thing you know, you know, God kind of looks at you and laughs and goes, okay, here, here's a new thing for you. Here's a new challenge for you. And I love it when the vet comes and we'll send diagnostic work down to Purdue University for uh, analysis. And they'll go, well, we've never seen this disease before. This is brand new. Uh, and so and so you tweak things, you change things, and you, and you move on. But yeah, th if you can have a load set up for success uh, from day one, as soon as they hit the ground, it, it's it's beneficial for the entire industry. So Jake, what can dairy producers do to find growers like you rather than sending animals through a sale barn or through a, a, an avenue that way, like doing that direct sale? Uh, reach out. Um, you know, we're, we're a little bit weird in the fact that we're, we've been pushing on this side of things for quite some time. There's, there's 
growers and there's producers that are doing this. Some are functioning in that, uh, you know, newborn calf to 450 pound, you know, weight range. There's some gr uh, growers that are functioning in that 400 pound to 800 pound weight range. Uh, and there's some that are functioning in the 800 to finish, you know, weight range. Uh, we, we have backed the weights down to that four weight, three and a half, four weight really spot, because if we have control of them, we can, we can manage them a little bit better. But, uh, you know, the cattle feeders in the area, you know, there, there's, you know, a guy that's got one monosloper, or he's got, you know, 10 monoslopes. Uh, you, you can kind of, you kind of know the local, uh, area and even the sale barn, I, I can guarantee the buyers in that sale barn know your animals that are coming in. And if, and if you question why aren't my bull calves getting what they should be getting or what the neighbors are getting, that there may be a reason there too, is because we know those animals. We have seen what those animals can do. We've seen the kill sheets on them on the backside. And so we're pricing them accordingly. If somebody, if somebody would show up and reach out uh, to us, yeah, absolutely. If nothing else, we love to talk uh, about cattle, about uh, anything cattle related. Um, but yeah, anybody in your local area that, that is feeding cattle, if they're not looking at this, they probably will be looking at this, as, especially as if you're east of the Mississippi. That, that's especially where it's, it's strong is east of the Mississippi in that market. You know, west of the Mississippi, it's a completely different game uh, feeding feeding cattle over there. I'm sure in the dairy world, it's it's different too. Uh, so, it's it's something to consider uh, as well. I can only speak for the eastern side. Is there still that kind of like animosity between beef growers and this dairy push to create these what I call half blood calves or like these beef on dairy calves? Like is is that angst still there or are we kind of working through it? We're working through it. The uh, genetics, as they continue to improve, as as things continue to evolve and grow, you know, we're still in the wild west of it, but that angst has gone down. You know, I think initially the shock of, well, you're wanting double for a, a, a newborn calf and producers knowing what a Holstein's bull calf was capable of and what we what they were like back in the past that that tended to lead to some animosity of you're wanting double well, they got to prove double and as a producer i've got to hold on to that calf you know for 18 months you know 24 months before i'm seeing a result on a kill sheet that proves to me one way or the other that that was a good investment so the, you know we, we're finally starting to see the the data coming back from from loads of this breeding is working yes it makes sense to go down this road and so that animosity level is starting to go down again it goes back to open communication and transparency i don't care what you've done just tell me what you've done and i can make it work you know and, and that leads to less less uh well they're no good they're out to get me uh feelings so and, and beef producers are need to embrace it as well you know we can be stubborn we can we were we were weird in the 90s when we switched over to Holsteins and my I remember my grandfather telling my father uh this is a sure way to go broke because this isn't going to work uh they, they were they were a foreign byproduct of an industry that we really didn't know we were adjacent to but once you learn how to function in that space uh it, it's a good space to function in, and there's good partnerships to come from it it's the new year. People try new things, right? If people want to try doing this, 
we've got the importance of colostrum, dipping a navel, genetics, and we talked a little bit about like the EPDs and stuff like that and growing smaller calves or shorter calves, less framey calves. What else do they need to keep in mind? Just general calf care. And I know as, you know, as families grow and I and we're in the same spot where we're going, uh, the family, what family that we've got, uh, we need to grow our operation in order to continue to stay viable. You know, that that's the reality of every feed yard. That's the reality of every uh, dairy operation. I'm sure that's out there is we need to get to a point where the family can survive on, you know, it takes more cows to keep one family viable. As you continue to do that, and as you continue to grow, and as you hire people in, at, may not know, you know, dairy industry. They may not know the beef industry. We we see this all the time of people coming in that they don't know a, a thing about cattle, but they've watched Yellowstone, so they know uh, something about cattle. So continuing to make sure that cattle care is number one and and cattle care for the cows, the cattle care for the bull calf that just came out top down, bottom up, making sure that the employees know, you know, being in being part of the family. I know that my bottom line is affected by every animal that walks off that truck that walks back onto a truck. Every ounce of feed that they eat has to be good quality. Every vaccine that they get has to be the highest quality. Every bit of bedding that goes in has to be put in correct. Will will an employee f- do that same thing? Uh, it goes back to the management. It goes back to the owner. It goes back to the family. If they're doing the right things and showing the right ways and treating the cattle like they should be, it, the cattle reflect that. The cattle will take care of you at the end of the day. Uh, I've been a firm believer of that throughout my life. I've seen from my great-grandfather to my grandfather to my father uh, exhibit that, and and it's very true. So make double down on your effort in the new year to make sure that your herd is immaculately kept. No ways about it uh, otherwise, you know. That that would be my my it's and it's always my New Year's resolution is to continue to do one percent better than I did the prior. You know, you can do it's not about doing one thing a hundred percent. It's about doing a hundred things one percent better than what you've done them before or what your competition is doing. Uh, and that's how you continue to be successful. It's how you continue to grow an operation, especially with all the issues that we face outside of the industry. We need to do our best inside the industry to continue to make sure that we continue to thrive. Well, Jake, I don't know that I can ask you another question to get a better answer to end an episode on. That was great. I think the the mantra of, you know, you take care of the cows and the cows take care of you is something that I was certainly taught growing up. And I'm sure it's true for a lot of kids, a lot of people that grow up on farms and you can change the species out for whatever kind of farm you have. But I, it's so true. So I, I really like ending that on this episode on that, unless there's anything else that you think we need to talk about, Jake, related to this topic. No, I'm just thankful that you guys are talking about it. I'm thankful to, that you had me on, Katie. I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad that people are, are actively listening to this subject because it, it's an important one in our industry. So I really appreciate everything you're doing and that Expo's doing uh, for this topic. Well, thank you very much for being on the show and hopefully we'll see you again in person soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Katie. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. 
And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you. 